Well, as the kids reminded us, it is Palm Sunday, and we are headed into Holy Week, a very significant week in the life of Christ's followers. And of course, as we remember in Palm Sunday, as Christ rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, they waved their palms, they threw down their cloaks because they were honoring Him as their King, as their political Messiah who would deliver them from the Romans. But Jesus Christ disappointed them. By the end of the week, they were crying out, Crucify Him. And Jesus Christ went to the cross to give us a way to the Father. And then, of course, on Easter, He rose again. And we're celebrating Holy Week by, first of all, having a good Friday service. Uh, at 5 and 7. I've been so excited about Easter, I forgot to mention Good Friday, so my apologies. <laughs> You've got to have Good Friday, right, if you're going to have Easter. It is a Good Friday because Jesus Christ made a way for us to be transformed through His power. And Again, we'll have services at 5 and 7 o'clock. 5 and 7 o'clock. If you can help out with the kids, we'd certainly appreciate that. There's an insert in your program where you can sign up to help at one of the services, but 5 and 7 uh, on Good Friday, and then on Easter, uh, we will have uh, our two services. Uh, we had our last Saturday night service last night after seven years. Uh, we discontinued that uh, because of attendance, but uh, we're so thankful for how God used that particular ministry. So just to let everybody know, uh, don't show up on Saturdays, Okay. Or you can have your own worship service in your car. <laughs> but at the same time, uh, we no longer have a Saturday night uh, service. But we're looking forward uh, to Easter and uh, all the wonderful things I believe that God is going uh, to do. Today we are concluding our series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And we've been studying it now for eight weeks. And it's the book written by King Solomon. King Solomon uh, conducted a grand experiment during his lifetime that we've talked often about. And his premise was, uh, you can experience uh, life to the fullest without God. Uh, that's what he wanted to prove or disprove. Uh, the idea that, can life be meaningful without God? And King Solomon was the person to do this. Because God had told him, Solomon, whatever you want, I'm going to give to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And God was so impressed by that that he gave him that every, everything else that people typically want. He gave him wealth. He's the wealthiest man in the world. Uh, he gave him power. He was the king over Israel. And Israel was at its zenith. It covered more land than at any other time in history. He gave him fame. He was world-renowned, King Solomon. He gave him all kinds of stuff. <laughs> he could buy anything uh, that he wanted. And he gave him time. A lot of us would think, I'd just be happy if I didn't have to work, if I was retired. And uh, Again, he gave him all kinds of time because he had a lot of time to do the things that we talked about during this study of Ecclesiastes. And so Solomon went all out. 
He was looking for meaning and satisfaction under the sun without God. And so he did everything. I mean, he threw the biggest parties that they had back in those days. Thousands of people we studied came out night after night just to party, just to eat, just to drink, just to be uh, with one another. Yeah, we don't know how long that went on, but uh, he tried out parties, and that didn't satisfy. And then he built a house for himself, <laughs> a house that took 14 years to build. Can you imagine what kind of house that must have been? I think that would be someone's dream house. Well, that was Solomon's dream house, but that didn't satisfy. Many people think sex will satisfy, as we saw in our video, that people are chasing after all these things. And the idea here, of course, is that Solomon was chasing after all the things that so many people in our culture are chasing after. And he chased after it. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Well, again, that didn't satisfy. He, he chased the outdoors. He had all kinds of gardens built. He had personal parks. We talked about that. Imagine having a personal park just for yourself, designed for your pleasure. Solomon went to the extreme in every area of life to see if one could find meaning and satisfaction without God. And what did he say about this pursuit? We see in the beginning of Ecclesiastes, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And we've talked about that. That word is meaningless. All is meaningless. Thirty-eight times he uses his Hebrew word, Hebel. And that really is what he came up with. In fact, we look at Ecclesiastes 12, 13. He says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. And as we've looked throughout this whole book, he says, life without God is meaningless. There's no point to it. So now we're in Ecclesiastes 12, the last chapter of the book, and he is bringing a summation of all of his studies, all of his experiments. And again, this might have gone for 20 years. We're not sure what the context of time here was, that he was trying to find out if life had any meaning without God. So here is his conclusion. This is what we've been waiting for. He says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. So he's saying, listen, this is what life is all about. It's not about sex. It's not about success. It's not about stuff. It's not about power. It's not about influence. It's not about experiences. It's about fearing God and following His commands. Solomon says that if there is no God that we're going to answer to someday, Life is meaningless. And friends, as we reflect upon our relationships with people in this community and the people in our circles, whether it be at work or whether it be with other parents uh, that we get to know uh, through our kids' activities, uh, many times we see them chasing after all these things that Solomon has already fully chased after 
way beyond whatever they could do to chase after. And we know that they're going to come up empty. And, and, and many of us have been through the same experience. If we came to Christ at a later time in life, we chased after all those things that, that people and the media said would bring us that deep satisfaction. And we came up empty. And, and so many of us here have found that the only satisfaction is found in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So life is meaningless without God. But when there is a God, and there is a God that someday we will have to report to, God, as Solomon says in this passage, everything in life is meaningful. If God truly has created us, if God has put us on this earth for a purpose, if God intends that we do certain things, that everything we do every day is meaningful because it's all put in place by God. And, of course, Solomon believed that, of course, there was a God. And meaning was found in everyday life in serving Him and doing what He desired. So that is the conclusion, that after all this, we are to serve God, to do His will, to do His commandments. And it starts out with fearing God, he says. We look at Proverbs 1-7, a verse we've looked at before in this study. It says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and destruction. Of course, Proverbs, which Solomon wrote, is all about Wisdom, And the point of really discovering who God is, is fearing Him. Not in the sense that we're afraid that He's going to judge us, but the fact that we know that God is transcendent. He is above us. He is different in every way. And it's not just a head knowledge that we need to have as we get to know God. It's a heart knowledge. It starts with head knowledge about who God is, but then it's a heart knowledge as we experience trusting Him, as we experience all His wonderful attributes. Uh, you think of God's holiness. God's perfectly holy. When you stop and think about that, that really is just transcendent. We can't relate to that. It's not like God is 99.9999999999999% holy. He's 100% holy. There's not a hint of sin in God. And that has all kinds of ramifications for our everyday Christian living. God is omniscient. God knows everything about this world. God knows everything about you. He knows so much more than you know about yourself and everyone in this world. He's omniscient. What does that mean to us? That God is uh, omnipresent, that He's here with us, and He's here at every other church in this area, and that He's here everywhere in this world. He's outside of history. God is otherworldly, one might say. Uh, God is sovereign. God is in control of everything that happens in this world. God is love. God is mercy. God is full of Race. These are all things that, as we grow in our Christian life, 
And as we learn and more importantly experience in our lives, as we walk with God, they take us deeper into our relationship with Jesus Christ and into our Christian experience. That's what it means to fear God, is to know God, to honor God. And then it says here, of course, for this is the whole duty of man. This is our job, is to follow His commandments and fear Him. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. This is where Solomon is saying, he said, life is meaningful because... God created you for a purpose, and someday you're going to have to answer to God. Now, this is where it becomes quite problematic. Because if we're all going to have to answer to God, a holy God, we're going to have to, again, be exposed to our sin. If God's 100% holy, we have a problem. Because we are unrighteous. We are sinners. We have broken God's law. And God, because He is so holy, just can't let us off. He has to keep us accountable for that. And that means, the Bible says, that because of our sin, there's a penalty. And that penalty is eternal separation from God. Now, that's bad news, isn't it? But the good news, the gospel, is that Jesus Christ God's Son, God Himself, came into this world and lived the perfect life as a God-man. And He died on the cross for you and for I in order that He might be our substitute, in order that He might pay the penalty for us, as seen in 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. This is our... March memory verse. We always have a memory verse that we're working on. And this is the one uh, for March. But he suffered once for sins. He suffered so that we wouldn't have to suffer for an eternity. The righteous. He was righteous. He was our representative as a man. And he was God himself. So he could pay the price for us. He took our sins upon us. He was our substitute that He might bring us to God. And how might He bring us to God? In the sense that now Jesus Christ offers us His free gift of salvation as these wonderful people testified to this morning. That they have received this free gift of salvation. Because you see, when Jesus Christ died for us, it made possible the fact that Jesus Christ's righteousness might be laid upon us. The big word is imputation. The idea that when we come to God and say, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I know there's no way I can earn my relationship with you by my good works. And I totally humble myself and I ask, that you would forgive me of my sin, I ask that you would put the righteousness of Jesus Christ on me because He paid for my sins on the cross. And at that point, when you put your faith in God and become a part of the family of God, that righteousness of Christ is placed on you and you are seen as holy by God positionally. 
There's a big difference between our positional holiness and our practical holiness. Positional holiness is how God sees us. We are no longer condemned. Jesus Christ paid the price. But practically, we're not holy because we still are sinning. Sins that have been forgiven already in God's eyes, but sins that are still very real, that God wants us to continue to deal with and overcome through His power. And that's why Easter is so important. Because we all have friends, we have co-workers, we have family members who do not realize this. They're still working, working, working to try to please God, hoping they'll go to heaven. Or other people, they don't care about God. Uh, they don't think about God. We have people all over uh, the range. And that's why we as a church are doing everything that we can to encourage people to come out uh, to our Easter services and uh, we've done, of course, many things. First of all, we prayed. We've got over 250 people on our list that we're praying for. People that names you've written down. And I encourage you to continue to pray. We had a, a, a time of prayer, a morning of prayer yesterday. For four hours, we prayed. 38 people came out and prayed that God would visit us in a special way on Easter. As we fill our auditorium with people. Unsaved people who've been invited by you in order that they might hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And then, of course, we have our postcards that we've sent out. 45,000 postcards continue to pray that God would use those postcards as well as the postcards of other churches in this area. It's been great to see so many different postcards because the more postcards people get, the more likely that the Holy Spirit's going to use that to get them to some Bible-believing church where they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And then we encourage you to put out uh, yard signs. How many put out a yard sign? Uh, okay, thanks so much. Yeah, a yard sign. When you put this out, you are witnessing to your faith in Christ. You're saying, hey, I believe that uh, my spiritual life is very important. And it's so important, I'd like you to know about it. So I'm inviting you out to my church. What a beautiful way to tell your neighbors that uh, it's important to you. And you never know how God uses this type of thing. You know, they might look up the website and read about our beliefs and read about our ministries. And it might not be Easter or soon that they might check out our ministry. But who knows in the coming years as the Holy Spirit continues to work uh, in their lives. But the most important thing, the most important thing is you and I, as missionaries, <laughs> on mission, that we make those invites this week. How many have made the invite so far? Uh, you invited somebody out to Easter. Okay, wonderful. Well, this is the critical week, right? The week before Easter. To step out in faith, step out of your comfort zone, and ask that person uh, to come. And if they can't make it on Easter, on our postcard, we're doing a series uh, a new series on Philippians, so they can't make an Easter. Well, you know, we're doing this new series uh, on the book of Philippians. We'd love to have you any particular Sunday. So, uh, again, I encourage you as you continue to do that because we're getting the good news out, right? Uh, the news that we want to communicate to these people and is communicated in Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. That is the good news. We are no longer condemned. We no longer have to fear death. We no longer have to fear standing before 
Jesus Christ and being judged for our sins because His righteousness has been laid upon us. A big word to, to describe this is justification. We've been justified in the eyes of God. Our sins have been wiped off the books because they've been paid in full, the penalty for those sins by Jesus Christ. And God sees us as righteous. We're justified. His righteousness has been laid upon us. It's been imputed to us. And God sees us as holy. And that's something, certainly, that we can celebrate. Now, we go back to uh, Ecclesiastes 12, uh, 13. It says, Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of men. So now we ask the question, okay, since I have made that decision to follow Christ and, and I am filled with His Spirit and I have a relationship with the Father, what does that mean now? Is this still true about life? Yes, it is still true about life. If you're going to experience life in its fullness, you need to pursue God in this life as a Christ follower. And now you have the power, you have the identity in which to do it. That's what life is all about, living life as God desires you to. That's the whole duty of man. So the question is, how do we go about doing this? Well, we talked about that word justification in the sense that we're a new person in Jesus Christ. But there's another word called sanctification. And sanctification is seen a couple different times in Scripture, the word itself, and it's the idea of making holy. Positionally, we're perfect in the eyes of God. But practically, we need to continue to work out our salvation. We need to continue to become more like Jesus Christ on a day-to-day basis because that's our desire is to be like Jesus through the power of His Spirit. Let's take a look at Philippians 2, 12 and 13, which I think does a great job of describing the work of sanctification, that daily work of growing closer and closer to God. Paul challenges the people at Philippi, and this is the book we'll be studying uh, after Easter. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so, not, so now, not only as in my present, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So every day as Christ followers, when we wake up, our prayer should be, Oh, dear Lord, make me more holy today. Sanctify me through the power of Your Spirit. Inspire me. Encourage me. Empower me to continue to change my behavior in order that I might be more like Your Son. Notice what it says. He's saying to obey. There's all kinds of commands that we see throughout the Scriptures and in the New Testament saying, do this and do that. And so he's saying, obey. Obey these, these commands for sanctification. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out. That talks about our own initiative. That talks about our own desire. I mean, you think about uh, you know, getting in shape, right? That takes a lot of work, doesn't it? To get up and go to the gym and eat right and and care for your body, you've got to constantly be thinking about it and you've got to constantly keep it as a discipline. And your life will 
God calls us to be disciplined in being holy. To actually make that the number one priority in our lives is to be holy. But here is the important thing you need to understand in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now again, you need to have that desire to be holy, but the beauty of it is that God is the one who gives you the desire to be holy. And you need to pray for that because it's only through, through God that we can become more like Jesus Christ. And so as we struggle with sin from day to day, saying, oh God, fill me with your spirit in order that I might please you in this area. Another way this is explained is in John 14, 20, and 21. It says, In that day, Jesus says, You will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, that's justification. That's what happens when we become a Christ follower. Jesus comes into us through His Spirit. The Spirit of God is within us, and Jesus wants to live through us, and he wants to sanctify us and make us holy. And, and, and the secret of the gospel, I believe, is our identity in Jesus Christ. That's what we always have to remember, is what Christ did for us and who we are in Jesus Christ. And we're not just any person out there trying to be a better person. No, we've got uh, the Spirit within us now. And, and, and we're, we're children of God. And He's the one who's doing the work. He's the one who's making it happen. Now, Jesus goes on to say, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. Then he says, And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So the idea is, is that we are children of God, and we have the Holy Spirit within us, that we're naturally going to want to be more holy, to be sanctified by the Spirit. We're going to want to work on those areas where we're not, we know we're not holy. And we're going to obey His commands. And the more we obey His commands, the more we're going to experience His love. Now, Jesus Christ's love for us is the same. It never changes. But the closer you walk with Jesus, the more you fear God, the more you are sanctified by His Spirit, the more you experience His love. Right? It's a head knowledge and a heart knowledge. And the more you obey through the power of the Spirit, the more you experience how much God does truly love you. Now, let's go back a little bit here in Ecclesiastes. We're really studying the last part of chapter 12. It's really called the epilogue. This is where he wraps everything up. And again, he says, vanity of vanity, says the preacher, all is vanity. And then he goes in in verse 9, besides being wise, now he talks about himself in the third person, the preacher, that's Solomon, also taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. Let's talk about how he put the book together under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Then in verse 10 it says, the preacher sought to find words of delight. Again, we, we talked about Ecclesiastes and how beautiful some of the poetry is and how it's been a book that's been studied by many people, who are not even Christ followers, who view it as a beautiful book. Uh, and uprightly he wrote words of truth, truth from God. He says, The words are of the wise like goads, and like nails firmly fixed, 
and our collected sayings, they are given by one shepherd. So if we're going to follow Solomon's command of fear God and keep his commandments or the idea of being sanctified through the power of the Holy Spirit, we need to hang on to this book. This is one of the key tools that God uses us uses to sanctify us day by day. We need to continue to expose ourselves uh, to the truth in this book. They're, they're like a goad. This is a goad. These were iron rods that were used uh, by shepherds in that particular day. We can see a picture of a goad up here, if that's still uh, in the file. There they are. Uh, it's an iron rod uh, that they would use uh, to, uh, again, push the oxen along. It wouldn't hurt the oxen in any way, but it would irritate. That's <laughs> somebody putting this goad in you. And that's the nature of Scripture, right? Scripture can really be irritating. <laughs> I mean, you read it and you say, I don't like this. I don't like what it's saying. I don't like what it's saying about my life. And so many times after a service, people will come up to me and say, were you watching me this week? You know, did you have your cameras out or something like that? Uh, uh, you got spies out there because you were speaking right to me. And it wasn't fun, <laughs> right? No, no, no. That's just the Holy Spirit who's sanctifying you. And, and sometimes when you hear words of Scripture, they comfort and inspire you and carry you along. And sometimes it hurts because the Holy Spirit is shining His light on a particular area of your life where you are not holy. And He wants to sanctify you if you are willing to allow Him to do that. Now, we go back to verse 11. And it says, and like nails firmly fixed are collected sayings. They're given by one shepherd. That's God. He's the one shepherd. Shepherd. I believe the nails is talking about Scripture here. In our house, uh, we have stairs that lead up uh, in uh, to our living area. And uh, for years, uh, we wanted to protect the carpet. So what we do is we would lay down a plastic uh, now, this is the wise way to do it. Uh, I've puzzled, puzzled over this for years. Uh, so the idea is you lay some type of plastic over the stairs. But this is the material uh, that I use uh, in the next picture here. Remember that material? And so I'd lay it across uh, the stairs, but it would never stay. And I tried the poles and everything, but we get a lot of traffic. And finally, I just, I just started to use nails uh, with a, a large head. And I would just nail that thing down. And, uh, you know, the problem is, of course, as people come into our house, if it's not nailed down, they're going to slip. <laughs> and it's going to cause some pain. So we didn't want that. And uh, so what I did was is I, I nailed the, this down. I don't know if it was the nature of the stair or whatever, but I had to continue to nail these things. I mean, I had a box in a certain spot. And I'd walk, oh, gee, it's slipping again, you know, so I'd bring <laughs> Uh, a hammer and, and start to nail it down again, and that would last for a little bit. And when I was thinking about that, I was thinking about nails, and you've got a nail here, uh, you know, and, and this this nail that we've given you as you came in uh, is a symbol of this verse that we're looking at, and this really is scripture. This is a this is a symbol of scripture because what what, what happens in our Christian lives is that as we walk. With God, as we're sanctified, as we're being made holy, the Holy Spirit nails things down uh, into our pathway. 
As we all know that life can be slippery. And especially if we're not being sanctified by the Holy Spirit, we can get ourselves into a lot of troubles. And people who don't even know God, well, their life is really slippery. And as we talked about last week, is our culture pulls out some of the nails or the norms that we have in our society. Things are becoming more and more confusing for people. So the whole point of the sanctif- one of the purposes behind the sanctification process and reading God's Word, spending time uh, with it, and letting the Holy Spirit convict you is putting nails down into your pathway of life. And it's a beautiful process, and it doesn't happen overnight. But when you think about your life, think about what nails is, is God trying to put into your life right now. What truths is He trying to, again, affix on your spiritual pathway so you will no longer slip? There are certain areas that you and I are always slipping on the plastic pathway of life, right? Maybe it's anger. Maybe that's just an issue in your life uh, that you don't have control over. And that is sin. That's practical sin. And that is hurting you. That's hurting individuals around you. And you need to be sanctified by the Spirit. You need to be made holy. And so what you do is you, you study God's Word and you pray and you talk to other people who struggled uh, with it. Uh, and, and you say to the Lord, Lord, I pray that your spirit would help me to get a control of my anger. And, and, and God works. God works if you continue to put your effort and motivation into it, which, of course, really comes from God, right? But, but you've got to be a participant. Uh, you just can't let it go and say, well, God changed me, but I'm not going to do anything about it. <laughs> It doesn't work that way, right? It's a joint effort, but in reality, God is giving you the energy on your own to partner with Him and making yourself more angry in regards to anger. Dealing with that. Or lust, you know, in whatever way it might manifest itself in your life. Or how about bitterness? Boy, I tell you, bitterness is something that can run uh, deep, and off the radar for so many years in our life. And we think we're doing fine spiritually, and the Holy Spirit, you know, takes His goad, takes His flashlight, right? And uh, points that out. He says, hey, listen, you've got to deal with this bitterness. This shouldn't be here, the Holy Spirit points out. And I'll help you get rid of it. Uh, but you've got to work at it. You've got to work out your salvation, right? Uh, and sometimes... Uh, some of the most profound spiritual nails that can give us stability in life come from painful experiences, right? Are you going through a painful experience right now? Something that's kind of rocking your world? Something that is just something you'd just rather get rid of? And I understand that. But at the same time, as Christ followers, we always have to ask the question, how is Jesus trying to sanctify me through this process? How is he trying to make me more holy? And what I found is if I properly respond to painful situations in my life and I really say, God, teach me, sanctify me, make me holy, and I'll do whatever I can 
uh, take the initiative that you give me to work on this particular area of my life, that there is a deep, significant spiritual nail that is laid down in the pathway of my life that lasts for years and years and years to come. You see, friends, that's the process of sanctification. As we study God's Word, as we have experiences, as the Holy Spirit goads us through His Word, as the Holy Spirit shines His light, as, as the Holy Spirit pricks us and says, you've got to work on this area. I'm going to help you. Uh, those spiritual nails are driven down. And, and year by year, you become more spiritually mature. You become more like Jesus, conformed to His image, but it only comes through trust. Trust that God will continue to make you more and more practically righteous because you are positionally righteous through justification. And now through sanctification, progressively you're becoming more like Jesus through the power of the Spirit. And He gives you the initiative to work on these things. Right? So I, I would encourage you, to take a close look at this. In fact, uh, we're just going to take uh, a minute or so here to reflect. Okay, just silent uh, reflection. And just pray to the Lord and talk to Him about an area that you're struggling in. Talk to Him about an area where you know He's trying to set down a nail of truth in your life. And maybe you're fighting it. Or maybe you're going through a difficult time right now and you've never really thought, oh, how is God trying to sanctify me? How is God trying to make me holy through this? I know what I want. I want life to go well. But God wants me to be holy. And uh, maybe ask that question. So let's just pray for a moment. Dear my Father, I want to thank You for Your sanctifying process. First of all, I want to thank You for the Gospel and justification and how that inspires us and, and moves us to realize uh, that we have a new relationship uh, with You. And Lord, I, I pray that You would help us each in this process of sanctification. I, I know what I'm struggling with. I don't know what... It, friends here, of course, are struggling with, but I pray that uh, you would help us to continue to reflect upon who we are in you, that uh, we're different people now, that we have your strength, and I pray that uh, you would give us the motivation to make the necessary changes in order that we might follow the counsel of Solomon, to fear you, to know you through head and heart knowledge. And then to follow your commands, to become sanctified through your Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. And uh, if you, we had a food truck yesterday. If you were with the food truck yesterday, raise your hand. 
Yeah, great. We had over 25 volunteers. We had uh, about 110 families we fed. And I was looking down through the list of some of the registrations. And some of these families had 10 people in their family. And um, some of them had four or five. So there's probably about 500 people we serviced with that food truck. We had some time out in the lobby before the food truck distribution started uh, passing out the food. And we had a lady here that was helping people look for jobs. We, had, uh, we did some meal planning. We're passing out recipes. And uh, we invited probably 50 people uh, to our Easter service. We had an opportunity to pray for people. This was just a fantastic opportunity for us to have a, uh, an impact on people in need in our community. I was